welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I'm excited about chatting with today's guest. She came onto my radar a couple of months ago, and when I read her ideas list, I was completely in. Here they are. Chemo, not my favorite cocktail. I'm tough. But I cry a lot. You can't cry at a drag show. Divorced for a reason. Clothes that don't fit. Design your own. See what I mean? Which subject do we boomer women not identify with? Add to that the fact that her tagline is, you do you, sweets. Let me introduce Jamie Sherling. Jamie, welcome and thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me, Agnes. Okay, where did this journey begin? Oh, gosh. It began, well, birth? No, just kidding. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Now, I would say the most recent part of the journey and what you're really talking about was my, well, I guess not even my cancer diagnosis in 2018. I'd have to back up to 2017 when that was the time that I thought I was going to have a cancer diagnosis and I didn't. Okay. So you did have a cancer diagnosis? Yes. In 2018, spring of 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And from there, I had a double mastectomy. I had chemotherapy. I had radiation. Had another drug for another nine months before having my port taken out. And that's really where all of this begins. It sounds like you had everything in the chemo book thrown at you. Were you pretty much flat on your back then for a year or... I handled chemotherapy better than many, I think. I just got lucky. And and I know that it's funny when you say, well, I, when you use chemotherapy and lucky in the same sentence, it can be a little entertaining, I guess. But I know that everybody handles chemotherapy and has different reactions completely. And I remember talking to my oncologist and they'd go through a laundry list of horrible things and say, you could have one of these side effects. You could have all of these side effects. You could have zero of the side effects. And so I did get, I got waves of nausea. I was lucky, lucky for me because I really can't stand throwing up. I didn't throw up much. So I was very, very grateful for that. But I'd often pretty much exclusively had my chemotherapy treatments on Friday usually in the morning or maybe the afternoon. And that night, it would just be waves of nausea, almost like I was just feeling seasick. But I surprisingly did not, did not vomit. And I'd feel not so great probably for the weekend. But then usually at the beginning of the week, you start to take a turn and my energy level would increase a little bit. I did have two blood transfusions 
in that time frame, which those weren't great. And I had never had a blood transfusion in my life. So now I can say I've had two and nurses are amazing, which I think many people already know that. But when you, I think I didn't really understand how amazing nurses were until I needed them so extensively like I did at that time of my life. So, I mean, part of your story is the fact that you had a double mastectomy. Um, the other side effects that I've heard about certainly are hair loss, gastrointestinal issues, a whole bunch of other things. Did any of that happen? Oh, yes. I definitely had hair loss. I forget about that, not because it wasn't a big deal to me. I really, really struggled. I struggled more with my hair being gone than my breast being gone, quite honestly. But I feel like many people don't avoid that side effect. I feel like unless you are just very rare or different kind of chemos do have you lose your hair versus not. But I feel like many times you have chemo, you're going to lose your hair. It's almost it's almost like it's not even in the list of side effects. It's just this is going to happen. So it did. So, yes, I lost. I was never bald. It was really interesting. I didn't lose all, all, all of my hair. So I just had this little peach fuzz on top of my head. So barely any hair. And my, well, now two teenagers, then they were tweens, I guess. And they thought I looked like a baby chick. So they referred to me as a baby chick at that time. So I was never shiny cue ball, but I was a baby chick. And I really didn't like not having hair. That was a struggle for me. I'd always had long hair most of my life other than one really short bad haircut when I was well, one when I was a child and another just short fun look in my early 20s but ever since then it was always at least past my shoulders maybe middle of my back so having that much hair to basically none was different I can identify with that I had uh, long hair down to my butt for like 30 years and it does become part of your identity absolutely mm-hmm. I would agree yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I saw a fabulous picture of you and, and I'm just going to say to our listeners that uh, your camera doesn't seem to be working. So I'm sort of staring into the blue, pretending I'm really talking to you um, or I can see you. But in one of your pictures, um, you had this fabulous color, sort of an orangey thing. Is that your real hair or did you wig? That was my hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I wanted rose gold. It ended up a little more orange than rose, but that was one of my favorite colors. So I say that I never experimented with hair color, but that would be a lie. In years ago, prior to cancer, I had dark blonde hair and I went from dark blonde to a brown and it was demi-permanent. I feel like that does not even count. To go from dark <laughs> blonde to brown is barely a change. Oh, but right. then when I basically lost all my hair, when it started growing back, my one of my two teens was having fun experimenting with hair color. And I thought, why not? Because I don't know if I would have tried it when my hair was so long. Partly it's just a pain in the neck to color your hair when you have so, so, so much hair. And so when it was short, I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, oh, well, because there's barely any hair there. So I have done lavender and teal. I did dark red once that was not like, the red like a redhead you would think like the actual like dumped a bunch of red paint on your head red that took a really long time to come out and then the rose gold you know my grandson well both my daughter and my grandson play with colors but my grandson loves the really strong colors 
And, you know, when people sort of roll their eyes because this 12, 10, 11 year old, whatever he was, is doing these wild colors, it's like, it's a renewable resource. Absolutely. Yes. I love that way of thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. Do you mind if we talk about flat? Not at all. Okay. You chose to go flat, which I would probably do the same. Was that a major decision for you or was that Jamie being Jamie? It was a bigger decision. It was a lot of back and forth. My poor friends in there texting. I'm going, I want to do it for this reason, but I don't, but I do, but I don't, but I do. And went back and forth. And my main reason, what really made the decision, I think sometimes it's just circumstance, not just circumstance, but I was not a candidate to do it immediately. So there's different kinds of reconstruction. So I did meet with a plastic surgeon partly just because that's what the doctor said you know this is what you do go go meet with them I thought okay so I met with the plastic surgeon she was very nice and the way my journey went it was surgery the the mastectomy followed with a short recovery time followed by five months of chemotherapy followed by six weeks of radiation so when I met with the plastic surgeon she flat out said your only option is implants that's the only the only way this will work. And then if you want to do that, I won't do it until you heal, which I completely understand. It, it is a cosmetic procedure and she's going to want it to look the best that it can. And during chemotherapy and especially during radiation, if you have the reconstruction, then it's not the overall final outcome is probably not going to be the best. So I wasn't really allowed by her to do it till the following summer. And I thought, do I, that's really what made the decision among other things, but thinking, do I want to go through chemotherapy, go through radiation, have another nine months, have this port, and then finally have summer, which I live in the Midwest and I love summer. It is so lovely. It's about 75 degrees today and I freeze most of the year. So for a few months, I get to finally be warm and I love it. So I'm thinking, do I want to spend my summer when I could be eating out on patios and going on the lake and spending time with friends. Do I want to be in more surgeries then? No, I, I don't. And turns out I didn't. So that would have been two years ago. And I'm so glad I did not spend that summer in surgeries. I think I just would have been really resentful and it would not have been the summer I wanted it to be. Right. As a total aside, I have recently heard a couple of interviews with people who have had issues with implants too. So Mm -hmm. I can imagine that, without the chemo, without the radiation, all that stuff, if you can, if there is a slight risk of having issues with implants, that those might just increase your chances of having um, issues with implants. Absolutely. And I've learned so much more than I knew at that time. And I do think more information should be overall. I think some cancer centers are probably better than others. Some, who knows, but I think overall as a general rule, there's more information that probably should be shared with women about the risks of implants. Cause I think, I don't think I was given any information of, you know, there is something called BII, you know, breast implant illness. That is an actual thing. And I had never heard of it until long after I had made that decision. So I think, Oh, that would have been good to know at the time, not from necessary a scare tactic or someone trying to talk you out of it, but just being able to have all the pieces of the puzzle to make an an informed decision. Exactly. Yeah. Education is just so paramount because you're, you're changing things up inside your body. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just don't know how your body's going to react. Now, you've probably talked to a number of other women who have had mastectomies. Mm-hmm. Do you find that most of them make their own decision or do they sometimes make a decision based on pressure from partners, family, society? I think it runs the gamut, truly. I think some, yes, there. I think there is pressure from partners from society and I do think it's a struggle to hear when it's coming from other women because yeah. I think that seems just so unfair and I don't know we should be supporting each other and supporting each other to make the best decisions for us and and that there's a lot I've heard this a lot or I've and I've been asked the question which I'm not really offended I guess it's just a, a question I hear a lot being on podcasts and things that do you feel less feminine after making that decision and i just feel like that's really a ridiculous question because there's so much more to me as a person and femininity i think means so much more than basically a single or in this case double body part but i think if you're asked that question and someone may be making that decision thinking oh my gosh maybe i won't maybe i won't feel like a woman anymore wait maybe i'm going to lose my identity and it's i think an unfair question to ask well and I wonder too like just hearing you say that is you know we've both just talked about having long hair and how that did become a part of our identity if you have like beautiful breasts or large breasts and have a mastectomy I wonder if that does change your view of yourself in some way or another and I think maybe that's inevitable Mm -hmm. but femininity and you know being a woman is more than just breasts Correct. Mm-hmm. I think age probably plays a factor. Maybe whether yeah. this woman has chosen to have in child, chosen to have children, and have they already had children, or are they still in childbearing age? Is that playing into their decision? I think there can be so many varying factors for every single person. Yeah, yeah, and I, I realize as you say that that I'm I'm coming at this from a woman my age of like, eh, they've done their job, you know, like if, if they disappear. Then I was the same too. So that didn't factor into my decision in that, yeah. you know, my mine were young tweens, but definitely had no intention of having a baby again after that. No, exactly. no, no, no. So that can be different when I hear about women who are diagnosed in their early or even late 20s. Now you say you're tough, but you cry a lot. Do you cry about? Do you cry for? Do you cry over? Am I being really? All of the above. So that is an actual direct quote that I said in a medical appointment and the whole room laughed at me because it was just, I guess, the way it came out was funny. And one of my best friends who just called before this podcast had said, I have never heard you say anything more true about yourself in your life. So, yes, I cry a lot. I just, I think it's cathartic. I think it's healthy. I believe that many of us probably have more tears inside of us and we're holding them back for all sorts of different reasons. And I just don't see the need for that. And I feel like if we do have these emotions and they're not coming out in tears or screaming or whatever, but if they're not coming out in some way, I do think it causes more problems for us. And they might come out another way that's not so great but I think crying is healthy yeah no I agree 100% there and and is there 
sorry, I'm going to get personal here. Are there are there triggers like that you sort of you're just having a regular day, as regular as days can be these days, but there's a trigger. Not necessarily. I can't even think of one specific trigger, but there have been times in my journey that it's you. I can start to have the pity party and why me? Why did I have to go through this? Um, I was actually diagnosed a second time, so I'm actually going through treatment again right now. So that, so that's part of that. Like, oh, here we go again. Lost my hair again. Like I had just gotten my hair back and it was so cute and I love that color. And, and yes, you can say, oh, your hair is so superficial. Oh, well, it's, it means something to me and all the other side effects that come along the way. But I also have cried a lot over, I wouldn't say over because of, but survivor guilt is a real thing. So for me, when I'm going along, especially having a second diagnosis and I'm going through treatment again, and then I might hear of somebody else who has cancer and whether they have a really short journey or whatever the case may be, they die. That can cause me to cry because I'm thinking, why is this wonderful person gone and I'm still here? So I've cried a lot about that over the years. And I have a brother who passed away from cancer. So I think I've had the pre-survivor guilt even before, like just as a human who is surviving in life because my because of my brother's death. Yeah. Because he just is this amazing human thinking, he was not supposed to leave the world. That was not okay. And and then having my diagnosis and now a second diagnosis, like, oh, I'm still here. I'm still around and he's still gone. And that makes me very sad. And I also cry a lot about youth because having two teenagers and what they've gone through in the last couple of years, especially. And I cry a lot about LGBTQ youth who are maybe not accepted by their family and struggle tremendously and their mental health issues and because they want to be who they are. And that makes me very sad. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, we start started with like one topic, um, but it's got so many tentacles mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. I found I, I did have cancer cross my path. I did not have cancer, but in those few weeks of not knowing, I remember the, the sadness, I guess, the, of, of what you might miss, you know, cause you always think that it's mm-hmm. going to be the, the, the final ending, you know, you're, you're not going to survive. That's always a present thing there, but, you know, thinking I may not see, you know, the, the flowers bloom next spring, or I may not see my grandchildren, like all those things. And, and mm-hmm. I remember myself and, you know, but yeah. And the survivor's guilt, that's interesting. Cause I just yeah, never thought that. I don't know that other, I, I do know, I have heard it from other survivors. I don't know if many feel it, but I definitely do. And it's not necessarily a daily thing and it doesn't cross my mind all the time, but you know, like my best friend recently, her uncle died and it was just so incredibly sad. This wonderful person in their entire family's life. And also he had had cancer and just sad and mad thinking, why didn't it, you know, why didn't treatment work? Why, why, why? And of course, I've there is no, there's no explanation. Yeah, yeah. And it's there's the old no story. No reason. We we all know a few assholes out there, and you sort of think, why couldn't it be them? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of this really nice person. Why this one? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. having teens with this second diagnosis, yes, definitely. When you talk about 
not knowing if you see the flowers bloom and things like that. For me, it was, oh, wow. Uh, so am I going to make it to their high school graduation? Will I see one of them graduate, not the other? Will I get to see both of them graduate? And so that immediate time, and especially a time when there are major, I don't know, I think for most people, their child graduating from high school is a pretty important milestone in life. So having that be questionable is odd because you, I think, often take it for granted and you don't even think, well, of course I'll be there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, nothing against the fellas out there, but there's something about being a mom, you know, like you've, you've done this nurturing for however many years and, and you want to see the job out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay. Next two topics on the list are drag queens and divorce, which came first? Drag queens. I had to think about that for a second. The drag queens, well, the, the intensity of the relationships with the drag queens came kind of coexisted with the divorce but my I had never seen an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race I I knew that drag queens existed I I knew it existed as an art form but I just never never seen it not for any good reason just hadn't and I was in a musical and the choreographer and I became friends and the choreographer happened to be a drag queen so I have a unique perspective in that I met people, became friends with them in their, in this case, all the th four off the top of my head, all in their male presenting states is Josh and Dan and Michael and Jacob. And it was like, oh, these are my friends who happen to do this. It's almost like I have this friend who plays baseball or I have this friend who's in theater, which is probably quite different from most people who go someplace and see a drag show and they see the drag queen and then maybe they get to know them maybe they don't but yes so i met josh first we were friends and then josh had asked me to be a backup dancer in a drag show pageant <laughs> and i of course immediately said yes never having of seen a drag show would. in my life i'm like yes of course <laughs> so that's how i met a few others we had rehearsals and met at this nightclub but we met at the nightclub on saturday afternoon which is also unique where it doesn't it doesn't look like a nightclub it looks like, I don't know, I guess a traditional bar with all the lights off and, you know, the stereo and all that. And we worked on their choreography and practiced. And then I did see my first show before I performed one. I felt like that was a smart idea, but I should actually see this before I do it. And then I just continued going to more and more and more shows over time. I think it's no surprise that the LGBTQ 2S plus community would embrace you, you know, they could probably write a book or a library on, on what inclusion looks like. It, I, I presume that's what happened. Yes. I just was, I, I don't know if it was that I made the friends first and then I was going to see my friends and then I just made more friends. It was like, Oh, this is my friend, Jamie. Like I wasn't someone who showed up. I was just someone who, was friends with these people and then met their friends. And yes, as far as inclusion, just one very joyful, happy place to be, for sure. In a previous lifetime, I worked at a gay bar in a major city. And it, yeah, it was just amazing. Just so full of love. It was pretty cool. I imagine you have some fun stories. Well, it was interesting when you were talking about the drag queens, because one thing that came to mind was this lovely young man who used to hang around all together and one Saturday evening 
um, somebody said, oh, have you seen this person? And I was behind the bar and I said, uh, no, not tonight. I haven't seen them. And they turned around and they said, oh, for God's sake, it's over there. And I turned around and I'm scanning the room going like, I'm not seeing this person. And then realized that this knockdown gorgeous woman was in fact this fella. That's and amazing. I, like, oh, I love that. God. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> so I had the a similar experience, but in reverse because I was quote painted once. Well, I've now, it's now been a few times, but it was, yeah, I think it was after it was that summer of 2019. So I'm thinking my port was out, but I don't know. No, the port wasn't out yet. The port wasn't out yet. I was just finishing treatment. My hair was pretty much gone and not feeling particularly me. And one of the friends, Jacob, who I'd met, one of the first queens I met, we had just talked about, oh, I'm going to put you in drag sometime. I'm going to put you in drag sometime. I'm thinking, sure, anytime. Let me know. Let's do it. And then finally, I think I asked, okay, can we make this happen? Sure enough, went, spent hours in the dressing room it it is amazing how long the craft takes and i was painted before the show and then jacob had to paint themselves to become chaos and so there was time in between so i went out from the dressing room and i was it my face had been painted i think it was just my face i don't even think i had or maybe i had the face in the wig but it just regular clothes and i'm just walking around and someone walked past me not someone who I've been friends with for months and months, months, no idea. And then did the quick turnaround and came, Jamie, is that you? <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm, you would think it wouldn't look that different, but it clearly did. These people were double taking all night long. It was a lot of fun. That was great. Yeah. Now, when you say you were painted, you were dressed up as a queen, correct? So basically a femme queen as opposed to a drag queen. Cause well, the reason being I ask, a woman being also a woman. So. The reason I ask is, oh, well, as the world knows, we're having issues again with threats and all sorts of idiotic stuff. But uh, one of our local mayors recently spoke out about how the community would be safe in her town. And she dressed what she called in drag, but she was dressed up as a guy. Yeah, that would be, so, so my understanding, so that would be a drag king. Oh. Again, not that I am the expert, but my understanding, someone who's perhaps female presenting most of the time or female at birth, they dress to look more male, that's a drag king. Uh-huh. Someone who's more male, that's drag queen. And then someone who's more female presenting like me, and then just, I don't know, I guess more female, that would be a <laughs> femme queen. So that was me. And I, so I'd had... The makeup, you know, my eyebrows changed. You know, it's still my face, but you change the eyebrows. The eye makeup's really, really different. And then, of course, a wig was at that time I had almost no hair. So I have this gorgeous, gorgeous wig and then borrowed a gown from Chaos as well. So very, very glitzy, glitzy (laughs) feminine human that. Okay. Me, but taken up a notch. Before we started, I had asked you to send me a headshot and a bio. Can you send me a headshot? And do you have a picture of yourself? Oh, I have many pictures of myself in in that. Yeah. Not good quality. Cell phone photo taken by who knows. But yes, of course. (laughs) I will send that along. That's great. I love that picture. Yeah. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Okay. So you design your own clothes. Is this where it started? So watching... These drag queens adapt their clothing or? 
It really had, no, oddly enough. I mean, it was same time, but it was because, so I had had the surgery and initially I was wearing prosthetics, which is funny because many of the queens probably wear similar ones, but I was wearing prosthetics. And I think for me, that was a good initial solution. It almost felt like this is still my body. I still look like me and I put on a dress, I put on a shirt. No one would know really unless... No one knew unless the clothes were off that, so I did that, but then I had radiation and I had six weeks of radiation and I had no side effects during. And then after my skin felt like it was just on fire, which is according to my radiation oncologist, pretty typical, but I'm glad she warned me because I was expecting it all along and it was nothing, nothing, nothing. And then it was maybe a week after then you feel like you have this just the worst sunburn of your entire life. So I am fortunate that I work from home and I was working from home and just wearing the biggest t-shirts, slathering aloe on me and had to go to the store and thought, I'm not putting on, I'm not putting on a prosthetic. So for those who don't know, it's based for me, at least what I wore most commonly was a bra and then I had inserts in it. And again, when I put that on to the outside world, but I thought, they're way too uncomfortable. My skin was actively like peeling and burning. So I just went to the store in this big t-shirt and I don't know what else and felt like, oh, wait, I guess this is fine. Like, I don't know why I felt like I was waiting around for permission. I don't know. But I thought, oh, I guess I don't need to wear those anymore. And then I tried to wear the clothes that I had and many of them didn't fit anymore. Because for the most part, many of women's clothing are made for someone who has breasts. So V's are going to go way too low, which again, you said you do use sweets, everybody to each their own. Some women in my shoes will wear a super low cut V and they don't care if everyone sees their scars. For me, at least at that time, I didn't want to. I felt like, no, they're my scars and I don't need someone walking down the street to see them. I don't know, kind of like it's my story to tell. So yeah, low, low cut V's, just things just didn't hang correctly anymore. And so then I started thinking, okay, well, where can I have clothes that do fit? And did some Google searches, did some things and thought, huh, this doesn't exist. There still that I know of, there's not a specific line of clothing that was designed for a woman who's had, you know, this double mastectomy without having reconstructive surgery. So I thought, well, maybe I could do it. That's how it started. Which is interesting when you think about it, because women do come in all shapes and sizes, including flat-chested. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have since found during that time, I can go now to, and even then, I could go to a store and find clothes that look pretty good on my body, but it was more trying on. It was more, for me, trial and error, where I think prior to that, I could just say, this is my size and it'll probably fit. Now it's not, this is my size and it fits. It's, well, this is my size and it might work. And, and I actually did a blog on my site uh, with another survivor of tips that if you are just wanting to look in a store and think, what are the certain styles? So I find frilly, frilly layers around the chest wall area or busier fabrics might be better. So Yes, it is possible to find clothes that work. And some just say, I'm going to wear the clothes I have and I don't care. And think, great, you do you. Like that works for you. Awesome. But at least for me, right away then, I wasn't comfortable enough to do that. 
Well, and I think the, the bottom line here is just recognizing what you're comfortable with and you do you. Um, exactly. That's the tagline. I agree. <laughs> okay, now I've got to ask, and I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I saw thrift stores somewhere on your website. Of course. I love thrifting. It's the best. There is a place in town that I just love, and I've been a very loyal customer for probably seven or eight years, but it's definitely been super helpful to me now in the last few years. And I might take, and I'm very choosy with my clothes because for me, I feel like I know, I can look in a mirror and think, I like how this looks on me. And I can also look in a mirror and say, eh, I don't like this. No. And so when you have that thrifting option, I can take a stack into the dressing room and I might come out with three things, but at least the three things I'm really going to like. And you can expand your wardrobe because you're cheaper than At a mine. fraction of the cost. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I think I would say it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say maybe 98% of the clothes and shoes that I own all came from a thrift store. I'm with you, sister. <laughs> the best. That's great. I just did some thrifting yesterday. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, most of our thrift stores that I really like are downtown, and it just seems like such an effort right now. But that's about me. Sorry. Fashion Friday, you also mentioned. And this rang a bell with me recently because my grandson was involved in this little school production. And in dressing up to make it sort of special, um, I put on these earrings that I haven't worn for a long time. They're big kind of cool earrings. And he noticed and a few other people noticed. And I then explained that I have this whole wardrobe of sort of glam earrings, bling earrings. Worn them for like a few years. Talk to me about Fashion Friday. I wish I could take credit for it. I cannot at all. I I can take credit for running with it, which is hilarious to me because I can't believe that I even do this. So, back in April of 2020, someone who had met maybe just late in 2019, just before the world shut down, at a networking event. She got on LinkedIn and had posted a little video and was wearing this gown. And again, this is April 2020, which at least where I live, we were barely even leaving our homes then. So she's in a gown and a necklace. And she said, I am doing formal Friday and I challenge you. And her reasoning at the time, which I actually loved, was to draw attention to people in the fashion industry who might be hurting at that time because we were all living in yoga pants or pajamas all of the time. So I thought, oh, well, I'm in the fashion industry, so but also excellent point, and it's fun. So I started it just, I thought it would be a few weeks. I thought it'd be three, maybe six weeks at the most. And it was this fun little thing, and I'd put on a dress and work at my computer. The I don't know if it's the best or worst choice was when I put on, it was a very form-fitting red sequin gown. Not only did I wear it at the beginning of Formal Friday, we were doing, we were having company-wide workouts, you know, boost morale over Zoom. So I'm wearing the sequin gown during the workout. The person leading was like, hold on, everyone, Jamie, what? Okay. Like didn't even have any words. So I kept it going and it felt really weird. I will say in even June, that was the time that George Floyd was murdered. And I'm thinking, why am I just putting on this dress and smiling when our, I feel like the world around me is burning to the ground. Like I felt really silly and I felt like, why am I still doing this? But 
And I remember posting that one, and I don't think I smiled in that picture, but I just kind of just stood there, but I was in a dress, and a number of my friends said, no, 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 you ha- like you have to keep doing this. You have to keep doing it because everything is falling apart, and there can be a lot of sadness and just awful things, but this is this moment of joy and that we need moments of joy and all of it. So I thought, okay, that's a pretty convincing reason. So last Friday was number 116 consecutively. <laughs> Like, I, I can't believe, I'm like saying that out loud. I'm like, I cannot believe I've done this 116 Fridays, but here we are. So is it a different outfit every Friday? Oh, yeah. Oh. I have, I have, I will say I've repeated pieces of outfits. Like yeah. there's a few skirts I've worn multiple times, but at least part of the outfit has to be different every single Friday. I have standards. Why? I don't know. Again, why do I care about this? But I do. <laughs> at least part of the outfit has to be new. Every single Friday, even if it's just the same skirt, but a different top. And then another time it's a different top or a different pair of shoes. And at 100, I have a very dear friend who wanted to run with this. And we did a photo shoot downtown and it was fantastic. So I borrowed a gold gown from a drag queen friend of mine, Kendra. And we went downtown in this museum and I'm walking across the street. This was in February, I think. So it's freezing. But I thought, ah, why not? So I'm walking across the street. There's slush and snow around me. And I'm in this sleeveless gold sequin gown with gold stiletto heels that were peep-toe sequin heels that were probably good, I don't know, two to three inches. And there I am just crossing the street. I'm sure it was quite a sight for people nearby, but why not? That's so, yeah. great. <laughs> it's pretty, it's a thing. I feel like if it got to be 11 a.m. on a Friday and I hadn't posted, I feel like I'd be getting messages like, where, where are you? What are you doing? Right. Where is formal Friday? <laughs> well, did you hear about that elderly, I think a woman of color, and when her church went on Zoom, she refused to stop dressing up. I did not hear about this. Oh, my God. So same thing. She has done probably a couple of hundred of these, including the hats. Of course. People used to wear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll see if I can find. I'll send you the link. Please do. She's amazing. Yeah. And and she's an elderly woman and she just uh, beautiful clothes. Oh, my God. (laughs) uh, Uh, See, it's I love it. Yeah. I'm into it. (laughs) I'm working on a project for my business and there's a common thread that has run through many of my interviews with other women, and that is self-care. Give us Jamie Sherling's version of self-care, self-love. Mm-hmm. Honoring what you need in the moment. Because maybe one day, taking a long bath is self-care, but maybe another day it's not. So whatever it is for you, for me, let's be real, many times drag is self-care. Me going to a show and being in that space and being around joy and smiling people and music and gorgeous outfits and wigs, that makes me very, very happy. So drag is a pretty consistent form of self-care for me. But the rest, it just, it can vary day to day how I'm, how I'm feeling and to honor that. Well, and yeah, thank you. Honor that, you know, whether it is to make you more relaxed, to bring you joy, to, you know, put a smile on your own face, to Mm -hmm. hug a tree, like whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
I saw one question on your bio that I wanted to include here today. And I apologize. My dog is renowned for interrupting podcast interviews. So she's been whimpering and carrying on. I apologize. <laughs> it's part of the picture. It's part of uh, life, you know? Exactly. That's right. So one question on your bio that I did want to include. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? Oh, that is a bold and difficult question. Well, it was on your bio. <laughs> I did it to myself. That's often the case. I put myself in these positions. (laughs) I would say being, being the best version of yourself and sharing that with other people. And that is a challenge for me, even having doing the formal Fridays and having written a book and you feel like, oh, I don't want this attention on me. And I think especially as I will say, as a general rule, women are raised to be, oh, you're supposed to be humble and don't think too much of yourself. And I'm thinking, why not? That why noise. not? Right. Why not celebrate how great we are and and be with other people who celebrate us as well. And if you're around people that aren't celebrating who you are, eh, maybe find some other people. Well, and I think too, you know, we're talking to boomer women here and most of us were brought up with expectations that we would be proper, shall I say, in air mm-hmm. quotes. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah as I say, screw that noise. I like that. <laughs> it's a new mantra for me. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Agna. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the audience, as I just said, is Boomer Women. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think they should think about, they should do with their lives? Just anything at all? Message? Oh, wow. I feel like there's a gift in age that you know, they already know that you don't need to be constantly looking to other people for approval and looking for approval outside of yourself. And yeah, I think there's a gift when you hit, and I don't know if it's even a certain age or just a certain point in life where you say, well, screw that noise. And you're like, that's it. And I'm going to rename, live... <laughs> I'm gonna rename this podcast. Screw that There's... noise. I think, can you really go wrong with that name? Absolutely not. <laughs> because there's just, there is so much noise and so much noise that we allow to sink in instead of saying, no, I, I know myself. I know what's best for myself. Not that you're not going to take, I think there's wisdom in taking advice from people close to you, from people who know you well, but I think relying on the noise and the advice quote advice of people who don't know you or just society at large how do they know what's best for you they don't the only time you should listen to them is when they're building you up yes that's so wise Mm -hmm. when you know it's coming from a place of love i have you know i have people close to me in my life that sometimes will try and nudge me in a different direction and when i know it's the people closest to me. I know, I know it's coming from a place of love. I know they care about me. I'll at least listen. I'll at least give them, give them that courtesy of listening. But if you don't know me at all, if you're tear, all you're doing is tearing me down, then why am I taking your life advice? Just keep on wanting to say screw that noise. So we have this <laughs> podcast chat today between you do you sweets and screw that noise. <laughs> Okay. Wisdom. Full of wisdom. <laughs> there you go. You've written a book. Tell us about it, please. 
I wrote a book that is truly a love letter to the drag community in Madison, Wisconsin. And the book's called From Queens to Queens. There is a play on words because I was born in Queens, New York. So I lived, well, the first seven of the years of my life, I lived in Queens, New York. So from Queens to Queens. And when I was in a really, really low place in my life because of a number of things, you, you mentioned the divorce word, there's cancer, other things, just in this really, really low place, that community, which was such an unexpected place, was really, really there for me and building me up and just completely changed my life. It's hard to imagine not knowing them now. Actually, it's impossible to imagine not knowing them now. And, and I rather imagine from what you said is that would you have been in the same place with the joy in your life and the positive aspects of your life without them? No, I don't, I don't think I would. No, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure about that. Okay, so where do we find the book? start there you can find the book i have it's on my website so if you want to see multiple places to get it ydysweets.com but for listeners who are all over the country amazon's going to be the easiest (laughs) okay now do you actually have a clothing line or do you just advise on i have but i have sold through the inventory and i really want to focus on my book but i do i do still have patterns and the, the possibility is still there, but there's more advice now and then focus on the book. Yeah, yeah. Where do we find you on the World Wide Web? If you can spell my name right, you can find me. So that's the easiest thing. <laughs> there's Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn if you want. The slightly, I wouldn't say watered down version of me, but the professional side. And it's all at Jamie Sherling. So, and you have to spell my name. So I've, I've corrected people this. And I did this on a national call for work once and said, with two eyes, like in my head. So it's J-A-I-M-I-E. And then Sherling's S-H-E-R-L-I-N-G. Okay. And you said social media as well. All the notes. I always put the notes or the, sorry, the links in the show notes. So that's great. Okay. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. The basis of our talk today was breast cancer, and that's something that every one of us thinks about from time to time, but lots and lots of other topics today. Thank you, Jamie. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at Apple or Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Most places a person would listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there and leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. And share this episode with a friend or two who need a shot of inspiration, gumption. I looked that word up to be sure. And yes, courage, spunk, guts, and resourcefulness. We all know someone who could do with a shot of gumption. And Jamie has certainly been a role model for that, it would appear. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website too. Jamie Sherling, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today, for sharing your journey and being the inspiration that you are. Thank you, Agnes, so much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. It really was. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you.